Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I'm going to ask you if you would to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And we will begin our reading there in verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. I'll pause one second. This is what legalism always does. She's added to it. He never said you couldn't touch it. But when you start down that road of trying to please God by not doing things, or adding some more religious activity to your life, whatever it is you're doing, when you start trying to please God that way, one of the first things you do is you begin to add things on. And then another thing about legalism that is shown in this passage, it also does not make us behave. It didn't help her one bit. She fell God. Because the serpent said to the woman in verse 4, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to the man said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself, and he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? 
And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust. That's the height of our achievement so far. You are dust. And to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living, and the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold... The man has become like one of us. This is God having a conversation with himself. Knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Something terrible has happened. It wasn't like a cataclysmic explosion but it might as well have been. We've had a visitor I remember one time uh, having some things stolen, and, and, and it, you've, if you've ever been in that situation, it's kind of weird because you're like a thief has been in here, but you're not sure what all he's done. And it might be months, it might be weeks, months, years you might never know fully the extent of what was taken, how, how the thief left the place. And, and, and it's kind of weird. Somebody's been in here and you can tell, you can see the marks of, of where they had been and the things that they had done. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus talked about the thief and how he comes to steal and kill and destroy. And it was much like that, that Adam and Eve had a visitor. There wasn't a huge trumpet blast announcing his presence, but boy, old Satan has come and made a visit. And it's been repeated countless times since then. 
and relationships in our homes and our churches and in our marriages and, and different things in our life that God has given us. Satan likes to visit those areas and when he leaves sometimes we don't even realize his destruction until many years later. We don't realize just what all it is he's done. We we may not immediately, if ever, see fully the seeds of doubt and deception and and division that he has sown among us and and how he has turned brother against brother, sister against sister and and father and son and all of those dear relationships. He can come into a home and tear it all to pieces. He can come into a church and he can destroy it if we allow him to do so. Satan has made a visit for sure. Now he uses the serpent as his disguise. Don't be amazed that Eve thought nothing of talking with a snake. I doubt I would feel that way, but up until this time when God made the serpent, he said, this is good. This is good. The, the snake had not that quality that, that makes uh, you recoil. Most uh, snakes are deadly. Uh, if you don't know that, I know some kill you with their venom. Others kill you when you turn and run into something else. But I don't like snakes. But Eve saw this serpent and it was before the fall and nothing to be alarmed. The fact that the serpent could talk, this is before the fall. That's not all that amazing either. I'd say at this point in their lives, they're still being amazed at God's incredible creation. All of the things that he made that he said were good. But the old enemy, I can tell you, he has disguised himself. He always does that with us. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, he never approaches human beings as himself. But in Scripture, he never approaches God in disguise. Ever. And you can understand why. Why would he approach God in disguise? God would be like, where where did you get that snake get up? Is it Halloween already? You think I don't know who you are? No need to disguise himself from God. When he met him in the uh, wilderness to tempt him, he never tried to pretend that maybe he was someone else there to help Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what he was. He knew exactly who he was, and he knew exactly why he was there. That puts him way ahead of Adam and Eve. I think sometimes we are a little bit too sophisticated nowadays for Satan. Satan has been a caricature so many times, and, and we've drawn horns on him and given him uh, various equipment like pitchforks and a, a red suit and all kinds of other things. I, I think it is almost like uh, we have just about turned him into a complete myth. And if you look at people in history who've written about him, Mark Twain said this, we may not pay attention to Satan or pay, a, pay Satan very much reverence. He said, for that would be indiscreet, but we can at least respect his talents. A popular television comedian, some of you will remember who it was because you're old like me, used to get a lot of laughs by saying the devil 
made me do it. He's a little like Santa Claus. Sometimes we are like, oh, well, yeah, I, I, I don't believe in Santa Claus anymore or whatever. Uh, I won't go there. But I, I will say this. Do I believe in Santa Claus? Absolutely. There really was a Saint Nicholas. And he lived and, and he died. He was a real person on this earth. See, we forget that. He has been so changed into this mythical person who does these things that we have added on to the story down through the years because you can only do so many Christmas programs on television before you have to get a reindeer that his nose lights up and you need a snowman that can dance around and all of that so you have to I mean you otherwise we wouldn't have but one Christmas show a year so we have to have all of that but we have taken someone who really did exist I, I think we've done the same thing with Jesus Christ Jesus Christ he does exist, but he has been made into some mythical whatever. We've got pictures of him. Uh, I've never been much on pictures of Jesus. Uh, you know, I, it, people uh, on uh, Facebook sometimes will post something and say, look right in here, and in a little bit you will see Jesus. And I'm like, well, I see a guy who looks like a drummer for the Doobie Brothers, but I'm not sure how you decided that that was Jesus. We have piled so many layers of our own ideas on top of Jesus. I think we sometimes forget he's very, very real. I think we do that with Satan sometimes. He's not just a picture on a can of lie. He is the father of lies. And he is very, very active in our world. It's amazing how they were in such an awesome place. These trees that once brought glory and honor to God, they are now hiding behind them to try to get away from God. Something terrible has happened. This whole relationship has been changed and it was changed forever. I want us to take a look today at a message entitled The Great Deception. And I want to go ahead and tell you now what The Great Deception is so you can carry it with you as we look through the passage. It's not like we'll hit it at the end like a, a grand ending. The Great Deception is not that Satan wanted Eve to follow him. He wanted Eve to follow herself. I think I confused some people yesterday when I made a post about that because uh, I posted a quotation by Eve, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but how Eve felt that, oh, I, I, I will no longer listen to others tell me what I can eat and can't eat, and I don't remember what all I said, but I now have this inner voice that has set me free, and now I have my own personal knowledge of good and evil. And, 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 and I tell you, it was amazing to me some of the reactions that I got. I mean, most of them were, yeah, that's, that's Eve, and she really messed up. But I think there were people who thought, yeah, that, 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 that's good. I don't think they realized the point I was trying to make at all. It's so convoluted in our world today. We're thinking that, yeah, that's a grown-up Christian. That's a mature Christian. 
I think we call them woke. That's a woke believer there. That's not somebody that listens to a bunch of jargon and babbling from other people and, and has somebody preach to them and always tell them what's right and what's wrong. They got their own truth. They got their own way of thinking and they've discovered for themselves what is right and wrong. And now they have knowledge of good and evil and we are so blooming foolish in our world today, in our churches today. And we think that's a good thing. I was not bragging on Eve. Perhaps I should add a disclaimer. Perhaps I should offer further interpretation. That was not a bright spot in Eve's life. She is just about to destroy her entire home because of her foolish thinking. Well, the great deception. Follow you. You decide. God is keeping something from you. And he knows the day you're brave enough to finally step out. The day you're brave enough to finally stand up to all of those who've jerked you around all your life and told you what you ought to do and what you ought to believe and all of that. The day you finally are willing to stand on your own two feet and and, and interpret the word of God and the things you hear from God and all of that and just put it all together and a big melting pot and just come out with whatever you decide is truth. The day you do that, you will be free. That, my friend, is the great deception. Because they did not find freedom. They found the opposite of freedom. Well, the great deception involves two things. One, a very foolish man... And secondly, a very faithful God. A very foolish man. We're going to take a look at Adam. It's Halloween, so let's look at Adam's family. First of all, he was very foolish in his disobedience. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Original sin was the lust for self-sufficient knowledge. A craving to shake off all external authorities and work things out for ourself. Does that not sound much like our world today. To shake off all of these shackles of, of what I've been told to do to get rid of external authority and find my knowledge and power and freedom from within and discover my own truth. Satan never tempted Eve to follow him. He knew that would be short-lived. He knew that he could never, ever be the master that could take her places like she could take herself. Oh, he could lead her astray possibly and make her disappoint God, but not at the level she could do it on her own. Let me just go ahead and tell you now, you are the biggest enemy you have. And if you're sitting here and you're very old at all and you got two wits to bang together, you've already reached the conclusion that maybe I've been hurt a lot in my life, but nobody has ever hurt me like me. 
I've hurt myself far more. If you wouldn't trade all the dumb things you did and what it did to your life for all of the things that other people have done to you. Now, we usually get over here because it's fun to moan and whine and feel sorry for ourselves about how people treat us. I can tell you, I have treated me worse than anybody ever in my life. They've come up with some dumb ideas. They couldn't hold a candle for me to come up with my own. Oh, man. When I got loose, buddy, when I finally got to that point in my life that nobody was ever going to tell me what to do anymore, boy. And we were raised, my brother and I, by a father who always told us what to do. Uh, He solved that issue, I've told you before, by joining the Navy because he was sick of being told what to do. I didn't solve it with very much more intelligence than he did. But I can tell you now, we are our biggest enemy. Our disobedience. Also, this foolish man, he was an idiot because of his delinquency. This is why we're talking about him and not Eve. It says, Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And I don't want to get the passage down and just exegete something out of it that's not there. But I can tell you that is a profound question. Where are you? One, I need you to understand or you need to understand that God hadn't lost him. If you think God didn't know he was over there squatted down with that little fig leaf apron drying up by the hour... Behind those very trees that once brought glory to God. Now he was using them as a tool to hide from God. If you think God didn't know where he was physically, you would be wrong. He also knew where he was spiritually. But he wanted Adam to realize, where are you? Man, what a... What a powerful question. Satan's visited your home and destroyed it, Adam. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? And, and man, I, I, it, today in, in our world you, you see, look at all of the things that, that we war against. This is almost eerie, it's so powerful. It is such a, a profound truth. It, 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 it just is absolutely validates Scripture from one end to the other. If you look at everything in here, male dominance, uh, women having babies, uh, uh, pain in childbirth, all of these things that, that came about because of this sin, the absence of a father and the destruction of, a ho- of the home, you can see those are still the same number one battles that we face in our world today. Absentee fathers. Why was it Adam there telling that snake, hey, you need to get on along, buddy. You need to get on along. I have dominion over you. God gave that to me, and I need to claim that dominion. But no, you're talking to my wife, and and you shared something rather interesting with her. And instead of standing up in my home and being the man that God called me to be, I listen to you. Matter of fact, I listened to her first. Oh, that's a controversy in our world today. You start talking about men and 
male dominance and all of that, and, and, and oh, no, you, you can get killed quicker for that kind of foolishness than just about anything else. I was so proud. In our associational meeting here last Thursday night, we voted to affirm the passage of Scripture in Timothy that teaches us that only a man can be a pastor of a church. And women, don't wish that one on yourself. Just go cool. Great. Phew. Got a lot of problems, but I won't ever have that one. I'm just saying to you, nowadays, man alive. I was amazed that I didn't hear any no votes. I heard a few groans. But I can tell you, that is pretty incredible. Why is that incredible? We weren't affirming something and, and uh, 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 the Baptist faith and message. We weren't affirming something that had been written in some Baptist publication. We were affirming something that is written in Scripture. Why is that so controversial? Well, it all goes back to right here. We started fighting these battles a long time ago. And they've been on the front burner ever since. Where are you, Adam? My goodness. He was also foolish in his disguise. Then the eyes of the, both of them were open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Nakedness was like full disclosure. There was no shame. There was total openness. I, you know, I don't know how to describe it. It's such a foreign concept to us that that could happen because you and I live in a fallen world. And the instant we think about everybody walking around naked, we begin to think about a whole lot of problems that would come with that, okay, and maybe if you're sitting here, just just never mind. I I don't want to give you any visuals, okay, but I'm saying to you, we can't even wrap our mind around that, and and there's no need to try because we live in a fallen world. There'd be lust. There'd be all kinds of things. We'd, we we would be we we are nowhere near able to deal with a situation like that because we are now fallen creatures. But Adam covered himself. I, I would say this to you ladies. This used to be a lot stronger point than it is nowadays, but some men wear makeup too. Now, that used to be people would go, what? I, I know that's not that odd anymore, unfortunately. But men do wear makeup. Oh, I, I, I wear makeup. It's not something that I, I just do occasionally when you're not around. There are things about me I try to hide, other things I try to accentuate. When I first started gaining weight back when I was about 30 years old, I spent the next 10 years holding in my stomach. Ten solid years of taking half breaths. You can only do that so long. 
Us boys used to bow our chest out. I remember in high school, you guys might not remember this. You, don't, you just weren't as cool as I was. When I first started getting a little hair on my lip, you could take a pencil and work on that thing a little bit and make it show up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it comes back to haunt you because now, man, I'm telling you, I got a beard. If there's anything, if I could get it to grow on my head like it grows on my face, I'd look like Donnie Osmond. I've heard you could rub alum on top of your head and it wouldn't make hair grow, but it'd pull your sideburns up there and make it look like you had hair. We hide things, accentuate the things we want people to see. Sometimes we live a life of duplicity and deception. He was foolish in his disobedience, delinquency, disguise, also in his defense. Listen to this. When God asked him, have you eaten of the tree I told you not to eat of? Listen to his response. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. You see, we first of all, we hide and then we hate. We begin to blame others. We begin to decide that, well, our problem really is somebody else's fault. And, and, and man, I, say, I mean, Adam blames everybody but himself. At that time, everybody was him and Eve and God. And he says, God, the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit. And notice he never, ever gives a yes or a no. Let, let, let me say this, and, and you just take it with a grain of salt, because I know a lot of people do this, and they mean nothing by it. So don't, don't make more out of it than I mean. But I hate so answers. If I ask you a yes or no question, and you start your answer with so, uh, I'm like, so? So what? Either you did or you didn't. Either, yeah, they're coming or they're not. Either we're having it or we're not. But when we start answers, I hear it's more popular now than ever. So uh, it, it means we're, this is going to be a long answer. I like yes and no. Yes and no works well. I guess it's because I was raised that way. Uh, that's all I ever got was yes and no. But it's really clear. It, it's they're monosyllabic, they're one syllable. They're, it's, it's, you can't get no mixed up, and you can't get yes mixed up. But we start a lot of our responses nowadays, especially sometimes when we don't really want to answer the question. We feel like, well, now I need to give an explanation, and then maybe I'll give the answer. He never really ever takes responsibility for it. And notice how that sin has taken root and it spreads suspicion. Man, you can't tell me that after Adam and Eve went back in the house or wherever it was that they lived, however they lived, that Eve didn't look at him and go, man, did you ever throw me under the bus? And I know they didn't have like buses then. But 
You can't tell me that evening went well at their house. <laughs> this woman you gave me, it's her fault and your fault that I got in trouble. And we could look at this and go, well, no, it wasn't their fault. It was Satan's fault. We sometimes like to say that. But here's the problem with that. Yep, uh, he did play a role in getting Adam and Eve to do something that they should not have done. But look in verse 10. They were able to dodge the truth without his help. In verse 12, they were able to blame others without his help. In verse 13, they were able to make excuses without his help. They did all of that without any help of the serpent. And if you go to the very next passage, one of their sons will kill another son, and Satan is not even mentioned one single time. So if you know who Flip Wilson is, he was a great comedian, but he's a terrible theologian. The devil made me do it. And it's easy. We still say that today sometimes. Man, I'm going to tell you. Jeremiah 17 says the heart of man is desperately wicked. It, 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 it needs nothing but just to be let loose. And the heart of man itself is desperately wicked. But sometimes we'll say, well, I, I'm so sorry. I hurt your feelings. Satan just got a hold of me. And and I've really tried in, in my life, in my marriage, I've, I've really tried, honestly, to get that kind of lingo out of my, my thinking. I'll tell Loretta sometimes now, I'll say, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and it, it was just sin. It was nothing but pure old sin. I failed. It was the flesh. It wasn't that, no, I've been stressed, or I've got a lot on me, or whatever. No, honey, it's 100%. My fault, it's just pure T sin. And she goes, I know. No, but that is what it is. I can blame it on all kinds of things. I got a lot on me, I got a whatever. Foolish man. Secondly, and last of all, a faithful God. This is the good part. He was faithful in how he came to him, says they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He came back to their garden. Man, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to come back to that garden. He could have obliterated that whole project, that whole deal. He could have obliterated the earth. He could have done all of that, and we would have never heard of Adam and Eve, and you and I would not have even been here to have not heard of Adam and Eve. But he didn't. He visited their mess. He walked right back in there where that old serpent's track was probably still visible in the sand. And knowing that these precious creatures that he made, that he loved so much, that he spent time with, that he created and gave them something called a free will that he never gave any other thing that he ever created. Something that could love him because it wanted to love him, not because he made it to love him. That's called a relationship. And that's what he wanted with Adam and Eve. And he walked right back into the mess that they made. Man, I want to tell you, that's grace. God didn't have to show up, but he did. He came and visited their chaos. And I want to tell you something. He will come and visit yours. 
You're going to want to run and hide. I, I know that's the easy part to do. Get, get out of church. Make up something. Decide, well, you know, we've just been kind of staying at home. And, you know, that, that it's just, we, I, we, we've been watching, uh, uh, what's his name uh, from Atlanta? Boy, Charles Stanley, that's right. That's like forgetting Jesus' name, isn't it? Yeah, we've just been kind of doing that and all that. Yeah, next thing, and, and it might not have anything to do with that. You could be running from God. I'm not saying you are, but if you're listening to this right now on the podcast and you're piled up on the couch, make sure that your reason for being there is a godly one and not one you made up just so you don't have to get around God's people because sometimes coming here can, can kind of make you think about things you've done in your life. When we sing these songs about there's another in the fire. Sometimes it might be convicting to you that, well, how did I get in the fire? I jumped in the fire. How did I get in such a mess that I needed His grace? How did the water get so deep for me? Oh, sometimes life can make it happen. But most of the time, it's our fault. He came to them. He's a faithful God. Secondly, he's faithful in how he called him. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He calls them to awaken them to his presence. I'm here. I've not gone anywhere. And maybe right now you're going through a time in your life of difficulty. And maybe you caused it yourself. Maybe you did made a decision that if you could do it over, you'd, you'd change it uh, uh, any way in the world you possibly could, it, but, but it's done, it's over with, the damage is there. Now you're picking up the pieces and all of that, and you might feel like that God has just deserted you and, and doesn't care, and He's not there anymore for you. But if you are one of His children, I can tell you, He is there. He called to Adam to let him know, hey, I'm I'm here. Oh, I know you don't want to look me in the eye right now, but I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to forsake you. It might be more comfortable today, but if I walk out of this garden right now, Adam, without having this conversation, you're doomed. You're doomed. It might not be an easy one for you to have. I'm going to ask you some questions that you don't want to answer. I'm going to make you take a look at yourself, Adam. And you might not want to do that. But it's part of my plan to save your sorry hide. Wow. So that's a great thing about Christianity. Religion is people looking for God. Christianity is God looking for his people. He seeks us. We don't try to reach up to him. He reaches down to us. One of the things, of many things we, we brought into Christianity from paganism is our architecture. The lofted ceilings and the spirals, we call them steeples or whatever. Um, all of that came from paganism because it pointed upward. And it was the pagans in Constantine's Roman Empire that were building these tall spirals. It was another version of the Tower of Babel, the Ziggurat. It was just 
building up toward God. And the higher we can build them, the better off they will be because paganism was always about trying to reach up to the gods, not letting God reach down to us. Well, he was faithful in how he came, how he called, how he confronted him and said he, verse 11, and he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Notice he didn't ask him, why did you do it? He asked him, what is it that you have done? Not why, I don't, I don't need an explanation. We we talked about that in studies we've done here before. But why, when you ask people why they did something, you've invited them to give you a reason, a justification for it. A better question that I've learned to ask people is, what is it that you did? Was this a good decision or not? Because I can ask why and we'll have a meeting that will last an hour. I can ask what and we'll be out in ten minutes. There is no why, Adam. What is this that you have done? Verse 24 is so much here in these latter verses. But in verse 24 it says he drove him out. Of the garden. Before you go to thinking that God is a cosmic killjoy, He knew that this has changed everything. I created you, Adam, to live forever. But things have changed. And that tree of life, that if you eat from it, you will live forever, would cause you to live in a fallen state forever and I love you too much to let that happen so I'll put an angelic creature in front of it with a flaming sword and I'll guard you from being able to eat it and that'll be the end of that but not really because when we go over to the book of the Revelation in chapter 2 when he's writing to the church at Ephesus he says to him who overcomes I will grant to eat from the tree of life. Where is the tree of life? Do you replant it somewhere? Where will we run into it again? Revelation 22. I know some of you. You read the fist pump. Go ahead. In the middle of its street, John said, I saw on either side of the river that was flowing out, the river of life flowing out from the throne of God, on either side of it was planted the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You can't have eternal life, Adam, but it will be through me. I am the way, I am the truth. And I am the life. It will be through me, Adam. You're going to have to depend on me. And you're going to have to do this thing that, well, it's called dying. <laughs> I'm not real happy about that one either. But Paul tells us that these bodies, they're corruptible, and they certainly are. 
He says they have to take on incorruption because you're going to live forever with God. You're going to need a different kind of body. It's sort of like trading in your old car for something like, I don't know, that's not even a great illustration, but it, it's not just another car. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> but it's like we got a, a, a glorified body, a, a new body that we will spend eternity together with God, but this one has to decay. It'll have to be laid aside, and one of these days, that will happen. If God tarries His coming, it will happen to all of us. But for us who know the Lord as our personal Lord and Savior, it is not death, but it is eternal life. Someone has said that the lamp is turned off when someone dies not because if they're a believer, not because the light has gone out, but because the sun has risen. You're in a place now where God is the light and you live forever. And God sets it back right where it was before Genesis chapter 3. Man. Last of all, as I close, and he's faithful And how he clothed them, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. An innocent animal died. An animal that had done nothing but exactly what God told it to do and made it to do. Lost its life for the sorriness of somebody else. But those were just coats of skin. Clothes made from animal hides. Later on, there would be sacrifices that they would make on the altar and the tabernacle and later in the temple. But that was almost like writing checks on money not yet in the bank because when Jesus came, he put the money in the bank. His death paid for all our sins and theirs. He is a faithful, faithful God. I don't know what's going on in your life lately. I know some of you, you've been to see me. We've talked. I've watched you cry. It breaks my heart. Satan has pummeled you. Life, circumstances, and yeah, bad decisions sometimes. Laziness. All of those things can get the best of us. Following God from a distance, not, not being as intimate with Him as we should, doing things we should not do, getting involved in things we shouldn't get involved in, all, all of those things, we can begin to mess up our life and we start growing far away from God. Maybe you are hearing God say to you, Dad, today, where are you? Where are you right now? And if you answer honestly, you'd have to say, you know, God, I'm not very close to you. I know that. Still going through the motions. I don't miss much church, but you and I, not what we used to be, Lord. And you didn't move. I did. I want to be the man of God that you called me to be. God loves you. He came to visit your chaos today. How about that? Through this sermon, through his word, He has reached out to you.
He wants you to hear His voice and turn to Him. God's faithful. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to You right now, Lord, and we ask You, we ask You, God, to help us. Help us, Lord, to realize and know that we do have an enemy who lurks. And Lord, sometimes his destruction is obvious, and at other times, God, it's years later before those seeds that we planted in our life because we were tempted or because we failed, and we listened to a voice besides yours, God, years later, Those things come up. You promise us, God, that you'll forgive us, but you also promise that we will reap what we sow. I pray, God, that you'll help us with that. Help us to know that you're faithful, God, when we're not. And that you can forgive us, Lord, because you are faithful and you are just in doing so you you paid the price for sin you made the rules god you said only death can pay for sin and you didn't change him when it happened you died so you're not only faithful god but you are just you are justified when you declare us righteous as a gift of grace Thank you, Lord. We pray for our world today, God. We live in a world that it seems to have taken its cue right from Genesis 3. Lord, almost every situation that occurred in this chapter, God, they are on the main lines of the battlefield in our world today. That's what there are reasons why people march, why people hate, why people fight. God, they're the cause of much destruction in our world. They're the main things, Lord, that we kick against, Lord, that we fight against. And it's not your fault, Lord, it's ours. We brought it about ourselves, God. And still, like fools, we fight. Help us, God, please. Help us in our world. Bring healing to our land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.